Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your boy, your host, Colin Brandon, a.k.a. Corbin Brando. And today we are talking about The Outer Worlds. Uh, it's a game brought to you by Obsidian Entertainment. Makers of the best Fallout game. Oh, boy. That's true. Fallout games. No, it was. Fallout New Vegas. No, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, this My was directed one. by Leonard. I'm going to say this wrong. Cohen? No, no, it's Nemo. Leonard Boyarsky. Interesting thing about Leonard Boyarsky, he actually was part of the creative team for the original Fallout game. Hey. And he Fun like climbed fact, through the this ranks. This was also right? created by Tim Kane. Guess what he was creator of? Everything. The original Fallout game. Original Fallout. I'm starting oh. to see some patterns. Well, you know the history behind Obsidian, right? Like it used to be Black Isle. It's made yeah, up yeah. of yes. the developers yes. of the original Fallout game. Like, that's been their whole right. thing. That's why they got New Vegas, and that's why Bethesda will never let them go near it again, right. because they make better games. Exactly. So so good. Uh, another credit to um, Boyarowski's, another feather in his cap, I should say, has been Diablo 3, which may not be their most successful game story-wise, but I like commercially that. that was the best game in the Diablo series, Blizzard put out. I guess I don't know. It definitely has like, from what I hear, the most sustainability too. Because I haven't played it, but so who are all of us? What are we doing here? Oh God! Sorry. The usual, the usual boys. The, the yeah, the Uji boys. The Ujis. All right, going around the table, we have with us Jason. I am Ben Young. Andrew's back. I'm Bill Jarvis, your Yuji boy. Your Yuji boy. Your bourgeoisie. Your Yuji bougie boy. Yugi boy. Your truly boy. The bougie boy. Okay. Sponsored by Truly. No. <laughs> New flavor. No. Sci-fi no, apple. No. <laughs> nope. Truly, if you want it, come get it. But we ain't doing it for free. <laughs> can, I be, can we be the podcast sponsored by If you Truly? want our sponsorship, cut him and claim him. Sci-fi boys do it. God. There are Only no less Truly. than 15 Trulys around the table right now. Here's my ultimatum before we start. If Truly doesn't come to sponsor us by the end of the year, we will plug White Claw for free. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Shots you know fired. Oh, shit. Shots fired. Anyways. X so, now. Uh, Outer Worlds, which... I don't know if you guys noticed, is the Unreal Engine 4. Mm hmm. Um, I did not. Oh, you didn't? I didn't Thank care. God it's not the creation engine. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but let's actually, before we get into the game, let's talk a little bit about Obsidian. Okay. Um, I'd love to. And we will. Was it 2004 this company was founded? Uh, as you guys said before, it was the scrapings of. Black Isle. Black Isle, thank you. Is it, 2003, um, June 2003. 2003, thank you. Right off the bat, they started out doing sequels to already existing intellectual properties. Mm -hmm. Star, yep. Star Wars, Knights of the Republic. Um, we know that they, they did uh, New Vegas. That was a couple years later. South Park. South Park was another. They did a, a, a Neverwinter Never Winter Nights. Nights game. Yeah. The sequel. Did, uh... I think it was was it Alpha Protocol? Yes. Or what was yep. the the espionage yeah, RPG? Yeah, uh, Alpha that Protocol. Was, so that was not a sequel. That was an original. That was an original. That was an original. Yeah. That was their first original. Well, yeah. It was interesting with Obsidian, like their trajectory. So obviously, the studio formed as we've kind of already touched on from the remnants of Black Isle and like these '90s 
like CRPG developers, but like, yeah, they kind of just had like the the seconds of all these other, you know, big, at least in the console generation, like big, um, you know, RPG developers like, oh, well, Bioware did KOTOR, obviously an incredible game, still one of my favorites to this day. We're going to make a sequel. Bioware is moving on to Jade Empire. They give it to Obsidian. They can do it. And then they cranked out an amazing game. KOTOR 2 is incredible. You know, it was a really good game. And I know it had kind of a, a rough production. There's a lot of if you look into like KOTOR 2, there's a lot of things that were kind of left on the the drawing board uh, that they weren't really able to execute. Um, there's actually some really cool like YouTube documentaries about it, the whole development process for that game. But yeah, they knocked it out of the park. I thought that story was great. Um, same thing with, you know, their properties that came out after that, both in terms of like doing the sequels and then um, later on when they were kind of given their own, you know, creative outlet to, hey, make your own uh, IPs. I think it's safe to say that they have not always had stellar success with the games that they make, but they've always made games that are at least worth playing, games we enjoy playing. Uh KOTOR 2 would be the example of it was a fun game, but it, it wasn't anything stellar. I think they in, introduced a lot of elements that I enjoyed in KOTOR 2, but in the first game, I think the story was better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, whereas on the flip side with Fallout, Fallout 3 was a good game. Start to finish, I enjoyed it, but New Vegas was just leaps and bounds better mm-hmm. in terms of story. So, I, I mean, I guess we could say that they've done well in general. Yeah, well, it says something that, you know, when Bethesda, who makes the core Fallout games, comes out with Fallout 4 and you play it after New Vegas, it was the follow-up to 3, but it's the sequel to New Vegas, and you play it and you're like, wow, like, I hate this. I hate every second of this. This is not New Vegas, and I hate Bethesda for it. And that was like, that's big, like for a small studio like Obsidian to like have that kind of lasting impact going forward. And of course, they're successful in their own right now with like Pillars of Eternity and like this was was mostly a hit. Like it did. They blew Bethesda out of the water. So do you remember the year after Fallout 4 when Bethesda was just like, let us make a sequel or not? Sorry, not Bethesda. Obsidian. Obsidian was like, yeah. let us make a sequel. Let's make it look. We have all this planned out. We can do this in New Orleans. It'll be great. Yep. They went as mm-hmm. far as teasing their own shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think Bethesda fucked up by not letting them do it. But Todd Howard's a giant man baby. So then, <laughs> it's the truth. I can't. I can't even refute that. You are right. He won't. I mean, what kind of professional adult says, "Yeah, the creation engine is still good"? <laughs> well, Ben, I have a surprise for you. Todd, come out. see those mountains you can go climb them you can now play skyrim on ben young <laughs> ben os you're finally awake <laughs> <laughs> this game was produced by uh take two this is the parent company of rockstar uh, the 2K series game. So financially, this is one of the most successful companies in video gaming industry. Mm-hmm. From what I can tell, 
they were pretty much ready to pull the plug on producing this. No, I'm sorry. They wanted to finish producing this game. They, I think they knew that what they had was gold. They wanted to get it out there. Microsoft took over Obsidian. They bought it. Entertainment. They bought it. Well, same difference. Yeah, yeah, they bought it. But this game actually still belongs in terms of production rights to take two. Which is why we saw it on, on multiple platforms. Yes, exactly. Which I think was huge for the success of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, no one owns an Xbox anymore. You heard it here, <laughs> folks. No one actually cares about Xbox. That's true. Um, no, but at the same time, Microsoft has distribution rights for this game. So oh, it's all over. It's the not place. on Steam. Mm-hmm. Where? What is it? On, it on is PC. on is games it? for uh, Windows. Um, it's on uh, the Epic Game Store. Um, Epic, you, I think you can Epic? buy it just standalone. Okay. Um, and then it's available for uh, Xbox, whatever, and uh, PS4. Right. So, yeah, anyways. Um, this Xbox game was, One. <laughs> this game was is it well, still Xbox One? <laughs> yes, it's not Xbox whatever. I don't know what it, I don't know anything about Xbox. I played it on my One X and it ran smooth. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed uh, every minute of it. But anyways, Obsidian was bought up by um, Microsoft, which is what Xbox Game Studios now. Or yeah, I, so I, I have I a point to add here. Think that's what it's called. I'm sorry, because ahead. I kind of followed this. No, this is to your point, Colin. So with this whole uh, acquisition that kind of took place during the production of this game, I feel like it was brilliant move by Microsoft because if we look at like you know this console generation, uh, I, I think we discussed it in a previous cast or like two casts before. We were talking about, you know, um, well, yeah, in our Last of Us cast, we are talking about, like, some exclusives that have come out, some first-party games that have come out, especially out of Sony. I mean, you look at, like, Nintendo had, like, Breath of the Wild, and then you've got the Sony games like God of War, and holy shit, incredible game, first-party game came out. You've got, you know, obviously the Uncharted games, and you've got, for me, a a big one this gen was uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, incredible game. But Microsoft really hasn't cornered the market on these first party like system sellers you know as they used to be called back in like the xbox and the playstation days and ps2 days and everything so i think this at least the way that i kind of viewed that news of the acquisition of obsidian it's kind of exciting because you know obsidian they set themselves up to really kind of have something to prove you know they they put out these games that were very critically well received and in a lot of cases you know extremely commercially well received but then they kind of had a bit of a lull over the last few years where they were still making rpgs i think we said about pillars of eternity you know they did a few other games where they were popular but they weren't really on that same level of like mainstream oh obsidian game so in them being acquired by microsoft i feel like it shows a willingness by microsoft to really want to push talented developers and talented studios to do something different and kind of take a chance so i mean kudos to microsoft on that but at the same time now i feel like with this game being as much of a financial success as it's been and a critical success my hope is now Obsidian's going to see the checkbook and it's going to be hey you know here you know we've got the microsoft money for you to spend and my hope would be that they pull a sony and say do what you want and I'm excited to see that game. I don't know. I'm, everyone has any thoughts on that or whatever. But that's kind of how I viewed that whole like acquisition process and kind of where it happened in this development process. Because it was late. 
that sounds amazing. I mean, that's what you're saying right now is, you know, through the acquisition, getting the capital to make these sorts of uh, like AAA titles that are, you know, that are, like you said, have mainstream following, but has the same. I don't know if you were a fan of Fallout, Fallout 2, but uh, those were like my childhood and like I freaking loved them. So if we can take that spirit and put it into major titles consistently coming out, I am all for it. Yeah, but it's it's too little too late for Microsoft. I'm surprised they're even coming out with another console. It's bold. It's stupid. It's risky. Bill Gates doesn't care about Xbox. He doesn't care about his game studio at all. He cares about his water nonprofits and stuff like that, which are good. I'm not not digging on him for that, but it's ignored. It's an ignored branch of Microsoft and the company has fallen apart at the seams. It's like you said, they've ignored console sellers entirely it's not even like they've tried they haven't even tried so far in fact that i'm never worried that i won't get to play the sequel for this because it will be on pc they they, it will be they've already done this with uh games games on xbox but it's like a pc initiative where pretty much any game you want is on pc at this point they've abandoned the console so why they're making another one baffles me you know it's um it's because they have the money, really, because uh, I there's a, a really excellent um, documentary on YouTube about um, sort of the rise and fall of the uh, Xbox 360. Um, but basically, in in the big red ring of death uh, sort of snafu that happened, um, they it, it was a drop in the bucket, like like Xbox Game Studios. They they might produce a lot, but it pales in comparison to Windows keys. It pales in comparison to uh, Microsoft Office sales. Sure. So, I mean, they could put out a new console every generation, and it wouldn't hurt. Wouldn't hurt the entire company, Microsoft's bottom line. So that's kind of it's a good point. You know, they they don't have. I mean, what do you have to lose? N- nothing. What do you have to gain? <laughs> Potentially a lot. That from? That's from First from. off, Ben, I have a surprise for you. Bill, come out. Well, good afternoon. I'm very excited to be here for sci-fi cross-sections. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm fine with we that. Got Bill like, and Todd in one fucking cast. Bill and Todd are just sitting in ben, uh, Bill's basement drinking Capri Suns <laughs> over there. I would be I'm watching on a studio Other side monitor. of the sheet on Pet the couch. Pippin. It's that truly money. It allows us mm-hmm. to do things like this. <laughs> yeah. I would um, respect Bill, but Todd, I would tear apart. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, so interesting. I know we'll kind of get back into the meat and potatoes of the Outer Worlds, which is the podcast that we're doing right mm-hmm. now. I but think. I think it's important because a lot of that plays into it. It's interesting uh, because I'm in total agreement with what Ben just said. That's been Microsoft's kind of key, like folly this console generation. And I have an Xbox One. I have an Xbox One X. I've owned two Xboxes this generation. And to me, not being, and I'm probably the only one here that is not a PC gamer at all. I'm a console gamer. I'm not a PC gamer. I do not care. I'm not going to keep up with that shit. I'm going to buy more guitars. So my whole (laughs) thing is I'm not going to buy a PC. So I am their consumer. I have a 4K TV. I've got, you know, the AV set up. So guess what? I bought an Xbox One X the day it came out and I was excited about it. I'm going to go buy a Scarlet the day it comes out because I'm excited about it. So I am their consumer from a technological standpoint. I really like that it was able to give me kind of higher visual fidelity than my PS4 Pro does on certain games. I played Outer Worlds on my Xbox One X and 4K and, you know, it looked great and I enjoyed every minute of it or have enjoyed every minute of it so far. 
So like, that's cool. I like the technological aspect of it, but truthfully, unless I'm playing a game like a Red Dead or something like that, and I really want to get the highest fidelity that I can, there's really no reason to buy the game on Xbox. Mm-hmm. And like the Xbox Games Pass thing, which Outer Worlds is part of, interestingly, if you have that, um, it's cool, but there's not enough games on there that I really care about to where it would push me over the edge to make the Xbox my primary console. So right now I kind of switch between the two. I have a feeling that when a PS5 details are released and Scarlet, you know, next box, whatever details come out, I'll eventually end up getting both of them. But at the same time, I don't know which one I'm going to get first, you know. And right now, I feel like Sony's doing more, especially from a games perspective. You know, games you can play on the PlayStation make the PlayStation a platform that really is a must have if you want to play those games, because that's what they've set themselves up this generation to do. My hope would be. I, I guess I understand that it's too late argument. My hope would be that they can still kind of write the ship because if you go back even one console generation, Microsoft was consistently putting out good stuff. So my hope is that now maybe they understand that, yeah, we really kind of fucked up. That's our first fuck. I use both for this podcast. That's fine. Um, but I think that if they can, you know, try to turn the ship around and and really kind of come out with some some cool content, cool first party content or they put their capital into developers like obsidian that are creating good shit then maybe we'll see some titles that we really want to play because truthfully i played crackdown 3 (laughs) and i love the crackdown games but crackdown 3 i think i had it downloaded for a week and then (laughs) i hated the first that was it i mean i enjoyed the first ones but this is exciting though to see obsidian it was only within the last eight or nine years that they've actually started to put out their own original intellectual properties, Mm -hmm. which is about goddamn time given how long they've been around. So I think Microsoft bought into them at the right time. I think we're going to see a lot of good stuff come out of them because they have at least three cooking that they can just keep turning out games for. Um, I haven't played any of their other uh, original properties, though I hear their pillars of... uh, Eternity, Pillars of Eternity is, I is hear that's a critically game, praised. So it, it was that actually apparently saved the company. Mm-hmm, it did. That's I, uh, what allowed it to make Outer Worlds is that Pillars of Eternity actually did so well. So, but that's outside our scope. Can <clears> very I? much so outside yes. our scope. So let's actually get into the game now um, that we've I think talked enough about the company. Um, oh, it was a good overture. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because it's it's good leading into this discussion that I feel like we're about to have tonight. Yes. Because it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. a nice well, this, preamble. this game holds more than just itself, I guess, if that makes any sense. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it's a lot. It's a legacy of a company. The future. This is really kind of a spiritual successor, I think, to New Vegas. Absolutely. Like, I mean, it's it's got a lot of aspects of it. Um let me just quickly detail my experience playing this. Uh, ben, well, let me thing. let me synopsize it. <laughs> oh first yeah, yeah. Get hit with really the hit that synopsis. synopsis. About to just... No, not he's wrote he wrote his own. For, he wrote for... his own with you in mind. Also, for the record, is for anyone who's listening tonight, uh, Miller and uh, Jason have not finished the game. Really, your overlord has not finished the game. I'm sorry. I... How far did you get? <clears throat> you didn't even start. No, no, He's like, I'm in Edgewater. No, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually about where Miller is. 
Jeez, guys. I'm at the like, I, I, I didn't like it, and I still played through the whole thing. That's getting into that. I did like it, and I'm taking we, my time. We will be discussing plot details, I think, up to Monarch, and then after that, anything will be illusions, basically, at that point. I think it's our only non-spoiler cast. Yeah, basically. And and really, plot details up to Monarch are part of the synopsis, so that's that's where we're going to be. Thanks, Ben. <clears throat> yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I, I still would like people to play it fresh, you know, so if you can, play, you can. Play that funky music, white boy. Uh, <clears throat> in the outer worlds, you play a colonist from Earth whose ship, filled with tens of thousands of colonists, was lost on its way to the Halcyon system for decades before being found by a mad scientist named Phineas Wells. Upon being revived, you choose to either team up with Wells to revive the rest of your fellow colonists, or turn him in to the mega corporation that runs the system to whom he's sworn vengeance. From there, you team up, or don't, with a motley crew of spacers and learn about the damage this oligarchical society has dealt upon the colony. Are you a revolutionary, or shill, or somewhere in between? You decide. Yeah, I like that. That was, was good. good. It's concise. Good. Yeah, yeah, sure. A good use of spacer. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's a term we should use more on sci-fi cross. Yeah, space it's not boy. the best choice. It's, it's space's choice. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well oh done. God, that, even that motto is just so like Fallout. Oh God, I, love so, it. I will say right off the bat, starting this game, I fucking loved it. The way that you build your character, that is quintessential Fallout. This oh yeah, for me. Um, I feel like things like Fallout Three and New Vegas do it better. That's obvious. No. no, I think in terms New of- Vegas does everything better. Yeah, like, but I mean, character-, character creation was pretty damn good. Fallout, well, Fallout Three and New Vegas had basically the same character creation, but this one gave you sliders for everything. Right, you didn't have as many sliders or as many hairstyles or as many whatever in New Vegas or no, no uh, I- Fallout Three, but it wasn't it, it it wasn't as necessary, you know. Right, I mean. I mean, it's not even really necessary here. And it's a, basically a first-person shooter. I don't even know if there is a third-person mode. There is not. It would have been more necessary. Yeah. In you the, could go in, into third-person in, in uh, Fallout, like, and so, especially having Vats. Honestly, Fallout 3 in New Vegas hurt itself by having a third-person mode. I agree. Did not need it at all. I don't know if I ever played in third-person mode. It was mode, so though, wonky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, just, it just didn't... Yeah. They, they didn't get, it like... It didn't add anything. Yeah. To it works for RE4, but it doesn't... Yeah, they didn't have like a solid third person camera till Skyrim. No. Because at least Skyrim, you walked over like terrain. <laughs> they had a solid third person camera in Skyrim. I wasn't solid. Aware. <laughs> solid. As in, better. you could play the game better. that way if you so chose. You wouldn't, but you could. It was laughable trying Wait, to do it in New Vegas what, or 3. Did they use the same game engine? I'm sorry. This is not the Bethesda cast, though. It, they've used oh, the I same engine since. About Bethesda, they've but... used the same engine since Morrowind. Uh, so we just, oh, <laughs> yes. God. Oh boy. No. And they're yes. they're using Todd, the same. Hold on, Todd. Hold on. That's Todd. a new engine, right? Todd, get the fuck in here. <laughs> they <laughs> just. Todd, they by the way, this up right they now. provided updates, but they've never built a new one from scratch. And they and they have said that they are going to use basically away. the same engine for for ES6 and ES6. for Starkiller, which you guys can cover if you want. I ain't fucking playing it. We have to. We're obligated to. I, I've I, actually signed a contract with Bethesda. We have to cover it. I'll play it if that's, Todd Howard gets on that, his knees. In that's front why of me. Todd is here, is because I told him we are now the, st- <laughs> <Star> <laughs> the Todd Howard Podcast. Star Killer. It's called uh, I, I know. Star Seeker. What, Star Jammer. Yeah. I think it's Star, star Seeker. The sci fi intellectual property that they are now. Star Not Gonna Be Gooder. 
Damn. <laughs> Todd's leaving. Todd's heading out to his car. Todd. <laughs> He's crying. Oh, Todd, no, Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Todd's dead. Guys, Todd's dead. Wait, oh, shit. Oh. We saved Elder, Elder Scrolls 6. <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft hostile takeover. Anyways. Um... So, Billy. How about that diarrhea? Okay. All right. See you, Bill. What? Bye. Mr. Gates is gone. Mr. Gates has left as well. Bill um, Gates? I forgot he was here. Yeah, no, yeah he's very forgettable. <laughs> so, you wouldn't know he's here except for the cans of Diet Coke. There goes our corporate backing. <laughs> this, is, this is Coke Zero. We're on our own again. Breaking so, news truly just pulled out. Okay, let's go. All right. I will be honest and say that this was one of the, the least painful tutorials to a game I've ever played. I thought it was rather streamlined. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I had yeah. fun during the tutorial, which is a rare thing. Um, I think God of War was one of the games I enjoyed the tutorial for. I'm trying to think of others recently, at least. Uh, no, I, I, I laughed. It was funny. Yeah. Or at least giggled at times. Um, that first, that intro planet, I thought was well done. It was quick. It was to the point. Well, st structurally, I feel like that's what grabbed me about Outer Worlds right right off the bat. So in the lead up to it, since this has been a game I've been following for a while and I've been looking forward to because I've been kind of craving this type of or the promise of this type of role playing game for a while now. Um, when it came out, you know, it, it was I, I created my character. I'm not one to sit there and like mess with sliders. So I just kind of created like the least white bread character I could, you know, guy looking pretty cool. He will look more or less looks like me, had a beard. Um, I, I will say as long as I've known Jason, every character he makes in an RPG is literally that. Yeah. My name, my guy, Simon, except I spelled it S-Z-Y-M-O-N. It was pretty cool. But what I really enjoyed about the first planet you're on, and I forget exactly what the first planet is, but I want to say, I know it's Edgewater. That's the area that you're in. That's the town. That's like yeah. the settlement. Most of the game takes place on uh, Terra 2, which is that planet. That's the planet, Terra 2. So when you initially, it's kind of, they railroad you through the first couple sections and they're, you know, obviously it's a tutorial. So they're kind of teaching the systems and they're teaching the basics and whatever you're sneaking past some guys. And when you get into the big, like first hub area, I feel like that was the first instance where it kind of struck me the type of game it was going to be. Because in the lead up to this, I didn't really, and on purpose, I didn't really follow that much as far as trailers or like you know previews or anything because i wanted to go into it almost blind um and one of the things that obsidian was very very careful to i think set the expectation early on was that this is not an you know assassin's creed circa 2018 game where you're gonna have you know it's, this is not witcher 3 this is not this game where you're going to have this vast expanse and you're going to be doing these, you know, fetch quests and whatever. It's more of a contained experience. It's going to be kind of more of a, in some ways, a bit linear as far as, I guess, what you're doing. Um, and to me, it was like, OK, well, how is that going to translate? I think that what they uh, Obsidian and I forget exactly who from Obsidian compared it to KOTOR 2, but they said that it's, it's more similar in scope to like a KOTOR 2. And I was grappling with that, like, how are they going to do this? Or what does that mean in 2019? Oh, you know, Obsidian developing a game that looks like kind of a spiritual successor to Fallout, but they're comparing it in scope to like a KOTOR 2. And I immediately got it when I was walking around that first area, because 
you know, you can bring up your in-game map and you kind of have this squared off, you know, map area. But not everything you see is, you know, traversable land. You can see some landmarks and everything. And as you're kind of walking through, everything is divided up in a way where you can, I think, clearly see like where the landmarks are. You can see where the settlements are. You can see where you're going to. And I think within maybe a couple hours, I had that first area fully explored, at least to where I could fast travel to everything. But I hadn't really uncovered any of the quests. So it's like I, I discovered the world first and kind of got my feet wet in that way. And then I started getting the quest. Then I went to Edgewater, you know, five hours in after I had already done some, you know, little instances and settlements and stuff like that. And then I went back and I was able to kind of re-explore that world and then got into the quests. So I think, and granted, I'm only about halfway through, but it seems like it's followed kind of the same structure. It's very, I don't want to use the word closed off, but it seems like it's a little bit more manageable than kind of what we've been seeing in the RPG sphere as of late. And I think that's refreshing. I don't know about you guys, but I think that compactness or that conciseness that we're seeing with this game was kind of a refreshing thing in 2019 given the types of games we've been playing. Bethesda is making big open worlds. CD Projekt Red is making big open worlds. Um, they've actually like turned a huge corner on uh, role-playing games. I think basically every RPG that comes out now for video games holds that as a, a kind of standard, and I can see how they do. Um, <clears throat> I agree that it is refreshing that they take a step back and like let's not try to make it as complex just focus on what matters, which is just a good role-playing game. Um, you don't have to have speaking dialogue, a voice actor. Every decision you make has to be acted out by someone. No, fuck that. I enjoyed the fact that it was all text-based for your, at least, playable character. So. Absolutely. I really want to tear into this, but really quick, piggybacking off that last point, that was one of my most hated experiences in Fallout 4. I remembered when I played New Vegas, I played an old, grizzled, like retired outlaw, shot in the face, wanted revenge. And then I played it again, and it was like a maniacal, like crazy, egocentric freak. And it was completely different. And then I played Fallout 4, and it's like you get two types of people guy or girl. And those are your characters. And it was such a big disappointment where it was just. I, I feel like I have no freedom with who I can express in this character, whereas... Uh, you couldn't really roleplay. Right, whereas Outer Worlds actually allowed that once again. And, you know, you don't, like you said, you don't need voice actors for your main characters as long as the dialogue is compelling. I want to tear into the other points you guys made, but I do want to hear Miller's tirade first, because I'm curious as to where Hill Land, having only made it to Groundbreaker so far, because you seem very upset for to have to be at this point in the game, whereas you shouldn't be upset until later. Oh no, I mean I'm not upset. Um, okay, my my tirade had more to deal with um, uh, hardware limitations. I'll call it. It actually kind of made a little bit more sense uh, talking in the preamble. Um, so uh, just really quick, so graciously Ben loaned me his PS4 copy of uh, of the game sidebar uh don't let me forget that i should give that back to you it's in my car okay you're done with it already uh well i'm done with the i'm done with the ps4 copy <laughs> wow <laughs> uh, <laughs> i um i was so ready to like so i um on on ps4 i played through 
up to the part where you first go on the ship and sort of talk to Ada um, right before you go to Edgewater. And um, I kind of veered off to the right and found a bunch of those primal beasts. Mm -hmm. I think I died to those about three or four times, just throwing myself at the wall. What and difficulty? Then, just normal. Okay. And so then I started trying to go to Edgewater and I got fucking killed by Marauders. <laughs> and I was like, I was so ready to come to this and be like, the game seems really cool, but I just can't, I might, I might just hate first person shooters. And, um, I think this was the day after Thanksgiving. And so I looked it up and I'm like, I know it's not on, uh, I know it's not on, um, steam. So let's see if I can play it somewhere else. And it's on the Epic game store. It's on games for windows. Um, and they were running a promo where you could get, uh, games for Xbox for PC or whatever it's called <laughs> for, for a dollar and the outer world was on it. And I was like, okay. So I paid my dollar. I downloaded the outer worlds for free and I was playing it on that. And I was just like, oh no, I don't hate first person shooters. I hate playing first person, sh first person shooters on consoles. Like I know that they're, you know, they've uh, console games have firmly got you in their grip, Jason, but <laughs> I think first-person shooters on consoles are dead to me. I don't. No, I, I can't agree. do I it. Yeah. I don't understand. Like the people who play CODs and Overwatch on console, you're crazy. I just had so much better of an experience with a keyboard and mouse. Oh sure, and I, I mean, love my PS4. I do. Yeah. I mean, I love. Um, we'll never talk about it. From it's, yeah, it's a beautiful console. Yeah, I, and 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 we'll never talk about it. But I love Bloodborne and. I love, you know, uh, yeah, the hack and slash games, but I can't do a first person shooter anymore on console. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. So I that was my tirade. I, I would describe playing a first person shooter on console as trying to drive a car without power steering. Ooh, <laughs> that's how it feels. That's so right. It feels oh, like that's that. so accurate. It's <laughs> well, just, I don't know. I think for me, though, the thing is, um, it's not that I'm against PC gaming. It's just hard for me to... Anytime I've There's ever, a barrier to entry. Well, anytime I've ever had the money to buy a good gaming PC, I go to Guitar Center or I'm on Sweetwater and I buy a guitar or I buy so an amp or something like that, that. But he actually just really loves using his thumbs to walk around. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just like really the, loves imprecise controls. Someday, yeah, someday I will have a, a PC, a, a good gaming PC, and I'm sure I'll do a lot of gaming on it. But yeah, my thing is, I don't know, like to me, it's more just getting the experience. And yeah. I think it's a... a ease of use so it's like yeah. a comfort thing for me yeah now that being said but i think i said it a minute ago i played outer worlds on my xbox one x performance wise at least and i know you're talking more about a gameplay perspective mm -hmm. but performance wise at least silky smooth yeah. ran great you know i'm sure it's not 60 frames but it's certainly not 30 it's somewhere in the middle so to me as far as games that perform well i feel like it was pretty well optimized i didn't really notice any glitches or any issues so um from that aspect it was it was pretty yeah. you know easy to jump into for me but i certainly understand where you're coming from yeah. i've played first person shooters on pc not competitively because i don't do that you but um no, it's absolutely smoother with a keyboard and mouse. Yeah, and it's and and we're obviously not here to debate console versus um, PC, but um, it's, it kind of feels like it though. That, you know, know, I mean, you guys it, have beat me I'm up, not even, man. I'm not it's even a cast all, about a game. Yeah, I'm not even on PC Master Race. Like, in right. it's just obviously consoles exist for people who don't want to spend five hundred dollars on building a shitty gaming PC. 
because well, he said shitty. Well, no, because that is low. Well, five hundred dollars. There's a there's a, a Linus Tech Tips video that compares the uh, Xbox One X, the PS4 Pro, and a five hundred dollar gaming PC. And the PS4 and the Xbox both blow a five hundred dollar PC out of the out of the water. It just there's just you you it's just you're not going to get the same experience from something that you can build for five hundred dollars. Um, so yeah, there, there's a market for those people who want to just buy a console and just have that be, it's like, okay, well, I can watch Netflix on it. I can play games on it. I can play some Blu-rays on it and that's it. Obviously there's just so much more you can do with a computer because it's a computer. Um, it's not just a gaming machine. You could type things on it. You can type things on it. You can register your disgust for... Uh, the first episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> That's why throughout the internet. <laughs> that was my big thing. I was really bummed. I I know I talked with Colin at this at length a few years ago when it was still like you know a pipe dream. But that's why I wanted the steam machine to be a real thing because yeah. to me it was like you know that's great. Like make something where I don't have to build it and I can just you know whatever. Yeah. So it's it's basically the e the power of a PC but the ease of use of a console. Didn't they make it? But they but did. It, it just sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it sucked, and it was a failure. Mark was uh, so. just bringing it up to me. Um, Gabe, get out here! <laughs> God damn it, Gabe! Too busy working on Half Life, Alex. I uh, I can't wait to talk about that. I agree with you. As someone who has just recently moved to Overwatch on PC after PS4, I uh, understand it now more. Um, with that being said, I think there are some games that I would, some FPSs specifically, that I would still prefer on console. Uh, for example, COD, which I just recently bought and I'm excited to dig into. I don't think I could play that on PC because I know how Call of Duty plays on console, like the back of my hand. I haven't played it in 10 years, but I'm excited to. But that's not the point. My point is, is it's just that I can... I feel like there are some FPSs that may perform better on consoles still, and I've always felt like Call of Duty was one of those. But, you know, remains to be seen. Well, I mean, I'm not even, you know, I'm not begrudging anybody sure. who wants to buy a console. It just, I I played it for about 30 minutes on PS4 and was like, I might hate this game because of the, I might hate what this game is because of the console. And then I was like, nope, just don't like console <laughs> FPS gaming. Um, I'm really enjoying the game. I'm, I'm only on... Um, the groundbreaker uh just now but uh i have a month left with uh, games for xbox on pc uh for a dollar so i should be able to finish it before that but it's great i mean edgewater was a lot of fun a lot of unexpected stuff like this game is even even then it's so interconnected the quest lines are so interconnected because i'm talking to people in the bar about you know, the plague. And it's like, oh, well, everybody's talking about the plague. Now everybody's talking about the deserters. It's like everybody has an opinion about all the little things that are going on. And I thought that was really cool. Um, there was the part with the vicar where you complete the vicar's quest. I didn't expect him to be recruitable. He's fucking that was, awesome, by the that way. Was in, that was just like, oh, I just, I'm just recruiting this guy. Can I just recruit anybody? Which obviously you can't, but still. I was going to say, if you um, if you have not played the side quest for the character, the vicar, I suggest it. Mm -hmm. I yeah. highly suggest it. I found it. the I book. He's on I, the ship. I forget who I Oh, I was talking to Mitch, and Mitch was like, I was like, oh, he, he was like, oh, I just left Edgewater. I'm like, oh, who's your party? He goes, oh, I got Pravati. And I was like, yeah? Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah. I love her. 
I'm like, cool. Who else is in your party? He's like, no one yet. I, I still got to get to the next place. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, all right. You didn't tell I'm him to gonna... go back and find that Victor no, boy? Oh, no, because he should He should play his experience the way yeah. he plays it. I know, but he's going to love that Vicar. I'm sure he'll go back. But uh, hopefully, it's funny you mentioned not hating the game. Because I have Ben Young here. <laughs> ben, come on out. He just, hey, uh, hey, how's it going? Hey. Oh, this motherfucker. Ladies and gentlemen, quick reference. I just want to say that Ben Young introduced himself. And uh, he's back in his seat and he's ready to go. It was very self-referential. We all appreciate the comedy. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Um, so, I am with you, Jason. I am with you, Miller. I loved the game. I loved every second of it. It felt so interconnected. It felt beautiful. It The characters were compelling. I fell in love with Parvati like that. I was like, this is my number one right here. This is Your my garrison. No, no. <laughs> I, I was just met, not, not fell in love like that. Like, she was instantly personable. And I was like, this is my Garrus Vicarian. This is this is my bro out here in space. Like I planned on playing the grizzled mercenary, and then I come across her, and I'm like, okay, the grizzled mercenary who hates everyone except Parvati. <laughs> and it was like, I was like, this is great. And I got to Edgewater. I was like, this is great. I got to Groundbreaker. I was like, this is great. I kept going through all of this content. So good. I go through Monarch. I'm not gonna spoil. Don't worry. I go through Monarch. So good. By the end of it, I'm getting a little tired of it. I'm like, okay, Monarch is getting a little fucking old at this point. I've spent 20 hours of this game on Monarch. Can we please leave? Yeah, you can leave. Great. Moving on. I move on. And the game is done from there. It falls apart. I don't know what happened. I don't know if this is if they were developing the game. When if they were developing Byzantium, which is the city, which I won't go into any plot details. Uh, I don't know if they were developing it when Microsoft bought them and all that stuff happened with Take Two and they were just like, finish the game, just finish it. Because I counted, I could count the number of quests in Byzantium on my both my hands. I was shocked. I was like, where, where is the content here? I, I, I did like four quests. One of the quests I accidentally started. I was like, I, I was like, my guy wouldn't do this, but all right, we'll go and we'll see how this plays out. And it played out really fun. And then it's just over. And I was like, what? Wait, 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 he's like, OK, thanks for coming by. And I was like, what? Like, what is this? I, I, I don't know what happens. And then from there, the game has two hours left at most. And only if <laughs> I, I changed to hard uh, around. Around Edgewater, I think maybe Groundbreaker. I was I was on normal and I was like, this is way too easy. So I changed over to hard and it was like, okay, I clearly over leveled myself while on normal. So because it's still very easy. And then you get to the second to last thing, which is a ship, Bill. You know what I'm talking about? And the difficulty spike is incredible out of nowhere. It's like, hey, uh, thanks for playing this game. Fuck you. Yeah. And just beats the shit out of you. And I was out and I was like, okay, fine. Thankfully, a challenge for once. But like, could I have had some warning, please? But I'm glad to finally be in this end game content. I'm like, here I am. This is the hard game now. This is where the game picks up. Let's do this. And you go to one more place that lasts for, I don't know, 20 minutes. I expected to be in there for like four hours. 20 minutes, it's done. Mm-hmm. 
It's done. I spent more time fighting the boss than I did exploring the last section. Because mm-hmm. it was a nightmare boss on hard mode. Did you play on hard mode? No. No? It's a, was it a nightmare on normal? No. I'm assuming you took the same path as I did. Hmm. Which was uh, okay. yeah, probably. not a shill. Probably. Not a corporate but, shill. Yes, probably. Um, but uh, what I wanted to say was um, I actually played in story mode. So I, uh, cause I don't have time. Sure, you're busy, of course. (laughs) No, that makes sense. So I just blew through it. Um, and I'd say I agree with you. I, I didn't realize it after it was done. I was like, uh, okay, it's over. Well, yeah. And that was leading up to my last point, which was the ending. What? I don't know if it's a better ending, if you're a jerk or not. Once again. I, I'm not spoiling the plot. I'm just spoiling your attitudes for this game, I feel like, and I'm sorry. It just, it's, it's over all of a sudden. It, it, it's not even an entertaining all of a sudden. It's just like, except for what you showed me, Bill. That was uh-huh. hilarious. <laughs> um, yes. And that, that look is up the dumb ending. The dumb ending. Look and up you'll the love dumb it. Ending, yeah. <laughs> but... I don't I wanted to love this game so bad and I know I've been talking forever I'm going to stop and let everyone have their say I wanted to love this game so bad and I loved so much of it for the first 20 hours and then the last five minutes of the game was just uh, that was a hyperbolic but it was just disappointing not just in the fact of what I expected the game to be because I had gotten what I expected for the first part of the game and then all of a sudden I, I, it's like, thanks for playing now. Fuck you. And I, I didn't, I didn't get what I paid for anymore. I felt like, like I should have paid 40 bucks for this game and I was really mad. Right. I mean, I, I completely understand that. I think that that is true. I think it's more about the journey than the end in a lot of ways for this game. Um, you know, cause I love the setting. I love the, um, I love the ideas they put forth, obviously about corporate greed and, you know, losing your way and being Kafkaesque. But, um, I was going to say one of the one of the biggest things I loved about it was and this is going to sound weird is that it really had this feeling and this might have been New Vegas as well. I never played New Vegas, but it was very much the Fallout Fallout 2 feeling of like let's uh, gallows humor mm-hmm. in, in a way that, you know, it's corporate, you know, like uh, like going about your daily life saying this, the corporate slogan. Or like, or like, I don't know if this is, is, this isn't really a spoiler, but like your favorite song automatically being the jingle for your corporation, you know, like, like all these funny things about this. And it's like, we laugh about it, but it's like, holy shit. Oh yeah, no, (laughs) it's, that's right around the corner. Like that's horrifying. (laughs) It is worth pointing out. Actually, I didn't even know this. This isn't anywhere in the game. I'm 100% certain of it. Did you know this is an alternate future that diverged in 1901? What? Holy shit. Yep. I, I read about that. I, I was I just read about it today when I was like looking up on the game. Yeah, the antitrust it's set in an alternate get... future that diverged in nineteen oh one when US President William McKinley this is from Wikipedia. When US President William McKinley is not assassinated by Leon uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name at, at the Pan American Exp- Exposition. As a result, Teddy Roosevelt never succeeded him allowing large business trusts to dominate society well into the future where mega corporations have begun colonizing and terraforming alien planets to varying results. Where was that in the game? Nowhere. I read tons of shit. I read everything I could get my hands on. It's nowhere. But it's not really in Fallout either. 
I was going to say, where does it exactly does it diverge? In Fallout, it diverges in like 1940s, uh, 50s-ish, where... Um, yeah, it's post-World War II. It's post-World War II, but like just barely post. So like 48 is where it diverges, where but, we use most... It's mostly... Uh, uh, it was all because the... Uh, what is it? Transistor resist. Something wasn't invented, so we uh, we just defaulted to nuclear power for oh, everything. Oh, yeah, and microprocessors. Right. Were yeah, that was yeah. never invented, so we just default defaulted to nuclear uh, power stuff but instead. Anyway. And that was outer worlds. <laughs> that was more explicit. I feel like in Fallout, like nah. you look around the world and you understand that more. Whereas in Outer Worlds, I just thought it was steampunky sci-fi. I never even realized that it diverged from this. Well, it's so far out in the future. It, it would be that true. You yeah. can't be blamed for that. But I mean, there's slight hints in the culture. But yeah, no. But it is right to be upset that they did not put more effort into giving you that while you were playing the game when you experienced that. So yeah, at least understanding where it. What's comes that from, exposition so. we all hate so much? It's like. You I know, hate I exposition mean... in a TV show <laughs> or a movie. I do not hate exposition in a video game. I also give me all like, of do you want to go? Would you want to go up to some NPC and be like, you know, why is Spacer's Choice allowed to do this? And then them go like for ten minutes. <laughs> oh well, you see, in 1901, President McKinley wasn't assassinated. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's like they're just really the, self-aware. Like super. But that's why they give a botched you attempt on it, President McKinley's life. Resulted in him not disabling what, anti. One of the things I love about Mass Effect was the fact that Drew Carpishin just unloaded all of this massive, effect, almost almost useless information onto you, but it built the world for you on the side. That's what I loved about Mass. You just have to read the the three and like I, trilogy books of Outer Worlds. I tried to stay away from Bioware going in like going into this, but there's also a heavy hand from Bioware, like just in in terms of influence into this game well yeah i mean they had to i mean i don't know how much if at all they worked with bioware on uh kotor 2 but they had to continue that kotor framework like yeah. i never played kotor 2 um but i played the hell out of kotor and uh this seems very much like that there's a lot of like gray area stuff like well i would say that kotor though is built off of star wars so they had a lot to work with there that's why i point towards this is an original ip yeah in the fact that mass effect was like yeah bioware's first original ip at that point wasn't it or would jade well no jade empire was uh i don't remember that was pre pre mass effect yeah no it was kotor jade empire mass effect yeah right that was so yeah. But with Mass Effect, they built this huge, believable world mm -hmm. because of the codex. It wasn't the information they gave you during the game. It was the shit that you read in the codex. Go ahead, Jason. So there's there's two major like points that I came into tonight's cast wanting to talk about. And I guess I'm just going to like shotgun blast it right now. So the first point is... I, I don't know. I guess just my take on kind of the whole aesthetic of this game. Um, it's kind of disheartening, to be totally honest, because, you know, with Ben kind of explaining his experience with the game. 
I'm right at that 20 hour mark. So it sounds like based off what you're saying, I'm right at the point where I'm about to be disappointed. If you just receive Neoka, you have about 10 hours left. Okay. But if you're Ben of Young, game, you're going to be disappointed about everything. That's not even true. Nothing can live up to Ben Young's expectations. Sorry, so, I'm so good. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm so good. He's... Continue, Jason. I had to lower the difficulty and everything. You're so good. <laughs> I had to raise it. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like what I got from this game right off the bat was that this is very much it's less a game about world building and more a game about this world exists and they dropped you into it. So I feel like a lot of what we're talking about here with, you know, they don't explicitly have all that lore kind of hidden in a codex or they don't have, you know, historian Bob on the corner <laughs> telling you telling you about William McKinley or whatever. Like this isn't that type of game. It's there. There's a lot of exposition. I Like truthfully, I did think there's actually a lot. And maybe it's just because I was, you know, the, I'm used to the Fallout 4 thing now where it's like, you know, hit X for yes and hit Y for no or whatever. Like, I felt like there are a lot of trees that it kind of takes you through. And there is a lot of expository kind of explanatory dialogue that these characters you're talking to um, to fulfill quests are kind of going through. And a lot of times I find myself kind of like, OK, 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 cool. What You know, what's my next option? But ultimately, I thought just the whole aesthetic of this game being this kind of riff on like a 50s pulp sci-fi novel, both in the art style, um, just the garish color scheme. I mean, this is like ba it's a basically, game. yeah, very like I just got to Monarch and like I was I was playing last night. And I thought there was something wrong with my TV because just the way the colors are coming through, it's like, whoa, holy shit. There's purples and reds and greens and yellows, just garish, you know, but it really sets the game apart as far as the, the, the style of it. So, I mean, I definitely appreciate that so far with where I'm at. I've had probably two or three instances where there were big, what I would call like decision points. And I think that was one of the big things that I missed. And this would be my second point, which we can get into later or whatever. But what I've missed in kind of the recent output from, you know, the big RPG, uh, I guess, developers of yesteryear, the Bioware's and the Bethesda's, where you come to a point and you have to make a decision. And what I appreciated about this game is the decision isn't just binary. It's not a black and white yes or no decision like Edgewater. I think we're, we've all been there so we can make that decision. I thought the way you handle the outcasts versus like the corporate controlled, you know, Edgewater is really cool because you literally can handle that situation in 10 different ways. Definitely. And what was cool, you know, I was talking to my sister who was also playing the game. She's playing on uh, Xbox Games Pass. And she asked me, and she actually beat me to that point. She said, well, what did you do? How would you handle that situation? I did, I did want to, that was a point I wanted to bring up. You know, I think everybody's made it past that part at this point. What did you do versus uh, Edgewater versus Botanical Garden? Well, I feel like that was the cool thing, and that's really what set this game apart for me. You know, okay, well, I'm going to side with the corporate interests, and I'm going to just say, you know, divert the power, screw these outcasts, whatever. Or you could say, yeah, yeah. outcasts all the way, screw the corporate interests, I'm going to shut down power to the town. But then it didn't even occur to me until I was in the process of doing it that, you know, I diverted the power from the outcasts to the town, but then I removed the guy who is the head of the town and installed the outcast leader as the head of that. Oh, which same. is also what my yeah, sister I did, did that too. which <laughs> was super cool. So that, am I the only one who just diverted it over to botanical garden and then saw yeah, the aftermath? 
But oh, that's shit. cool. So you can. Yes. Wow. Okay. I did not get. And you that. can either kill him or tell him to go. Wow. So I say leave. trust in Parvati. She said no. Don't take away from the town. <laughs> and I, said, I didn't trust you her got at all. it, girl. But We're that's the thing. That. Same. That's what's great about the writing in this game is that that is what talked me into doing it mm -hmm. because I was ready to just divert the power and whatever. Right. And then when she said, "No, think about it. There's people there. They're good people. They're just trying to make a living." That's the power of the writing, the storytelling, the world that they've kind of dropped you into. And again, just like we're discussing, I wouldn't say that they created a world that's richer in any way than the Fallout. Because it's not, but, and it really can't, you know, Outer Worlds, I, at least the, the story so far, the narrative situations they put you in, the choices they give you, it's great, but I'm not going to go and say, like, it's better than New Vegas or something, because it's not. Yeah, no, not it's just all. somebody else's D&D &D campaign. But it's a take on that type of really complex, mature, decision-based role-playing storytelling. It is, and it's more so than I think we've seen in a really long time. I think my that's why I appreciate it so far. It's a little bit of a bummer to hear that maybe it doesn't stick the landing. But certainly I have found myself, you know, I, I think I was we're talking about it before we started recording. I've played this in like two hour chunks over the last month. I've not had a bad hour, a bad 10 minute span with this game. I've enjoyed every second of it so far, almost to the point where where I'm kind of in a point in my life where I'm beelining games just to see the ending and I'm trying to beat it. It's good to know that there's an end in sight and that I will beat this game, but I'm also not in a rush to get to that ending. So I'm, you know, I'm playing it a couple hours at a time. I'm really enjoying the story. I'm invested in it. And I'm playing every little bit of content that comes my way and actively seeking out any little side quest because it's almost like I feel like I'm trying to savor it because I'm enjoying the experience. That kind of gets into... I guess the second point I have, but I don't know if now is the appropriate time to do it. So I don't know if anyone's got any response to that or wants to I add did. anything else. Um, I was you 100% Jason. Um, you mentioned everything I loved about this game going into it, like the depth of choice, the non-binary options, the character development, the writing, same as you Parvati was the one that convinced me not to fuck the town over, because I was ready. I was like, you know, fuck these shills. And it... I never got an option like that again. I There were a couple big choices later, but they were all binary. They were all help these people, or help these people. Or, or they're trinary. Help these people, help these people, or convince them to work together. I was like, alright, well, I guess I'll figure it out. And that was that. And 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 no longer did did my party chime in, and I made sure to keep party members around who would have a stake in the matter because I, that was interesting to me and they would no longer chime in like Parvati but we would walk into a place and they'd be like so and so I hate these people and I'd be like anything else to add and they'd just stare at me and so I was like okay well thanks and I would make a decision based on what I thought was right and not consult the, like I talked to them so many times hoping there was a dialogue option of like what do you think what should we do how, what's your opinion on this? And there was never anything. And that's that's where my disappointment stems from, is I loved that moment as much as you did. And that's, you could tell that they spent a lot of time on that and not a lot of time anywhere else. And once again, I think that has to do with the history of the game we talked about, which is why it was so important to cover that in the overture, which was, I think Microsoft bought them and told them finish. I think it came down as simple as that. 
They were like, get it done. And here you have a date, and this is when it needs to be done. Like, think about when it was announced. It was announced a year ago, and then all of a sudden, it's out in less than a year. That's where I'm at. We always have that elusive fourth option of kill everybody. True. I haven't played that. I make, wanted make to. Make sure you save your game first and then kill everybody. Yeah. I wanted to. Didn't I was play maniac mode. Excited to go back through and do so, and I won't play it again. I actually have been. So I've well, actually just pick up a save I've talked to several people. people who have already started a second playthrough of the game. If they like it, they like it. That's great. Which I mean, I guess there well, are different ways to go about playing it, though. So I'm I'm curious to see what my take is when I'm able to finish it because I don't know. Just seeing, I guess, and not that it matters, and we've kind of discussed that at length for different you know topics that we've discussed on this podcast. You know, reviews obviously they're subjective. They're, you're never going to find an objective review, but this game, just to see, I guess, the response to it. And how positive it's been. I'm curious to see if ultimately, I guess, I have the same takeaway that like Ben and to a lesser extent Bill had with the game, being the two that have at least seen an ending. Um, I have not yet, so I'd be curious maybe to report back in a couple casts when I finish it what my ultimate thoughts were, even if it's just a couple minute thing. Um, I I hope it's different. I hope I have a different take on it, but you don't know until I get there. Well, I just wanted to say that... um... Although I was disappointed with the ending, I did enjoy the journey. I think that it was um, it's an enjoyable game. I think it's an immersive game. Um, I like how the character system works in terms of just gameplay. Um, the rule system that they have is very cool. How, how different skills interact with each other. You know, the fact that, you know, you have more science, but you don't have large weapon skill. But it's OK if you have these large, huge weapons, as long as you have the science because you're using science. weapons. it's it's, you know, very very interesting how everything interconnects even outside of the story you know it's very very interesting how they built the game because i remember i saw so i saw a speed play um a speed run of it and the developers commenting over it and you can beat the game 12 minutes in 12 minutes uh and um half of that time is spent in edgewater so you spend six to seven minutes in edgewater and then after that you can speed run through it just using different tricks. And it's so interesting because it's like, yes, they spent all this time delving deep in Edgewater. And you really got that feeling that it was like a very deep, immersive story within Edgewater. And then outside of that, it just kind of felt a little bit more spread out, I guess. I don't know how to express that a little bit better. Um, but I'd, I'd say that's my feeling on the game. Um, setting wise, I loved it, obviously. I think it's very cool i'd like to see a bigger scope in a game and see that like we were talking about with the ending i'd love to see just an epic story within it and it didn't really feel like that at the end it didn't really feel epic it didn't really feel like we say binary you know it's like do the good guys win or did the bad guys win um it felt like it ended and then it's like okay but review your choices that you've made this entire time you know, it just kind of ended, you know, I don't know what options there are. I won't talk about that, but, you know, it just kind of ended. And then it's just like, OK, this is how you affected this world. So I don't know. I, I thought it was I think it's a really cool game. But like I said, I was disappointed when I got to the end because I kind of just wanted more. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wanted more. And I was very disappointed that there was no epic payoff 
it was just kind of like, oh. All right. Yeah. It is worth noting also that that speed run was with glitches. That's so true. No, it was They glitchy. did glitch it, yeah. so I don't know what the actual speed run is. It sounds to me like they do the, uh, the Fallout thing where they sort of recap the game, like, and recap all your choices, where... And I mean, even in Fallout, you know, it, it kind of depends. Like, in, in New Vegas, it, here's, here's how you affected everybody, and then here's how your final decision affected the end ending game. You know, if you sided with NCR or Legion or if you uh, sided with House or if you wanted Independent Vegas, you only have four endings. I was about ready to... When you said there were only one or two endings, I was about to ding it for it, but it's like, no, it's... it's really only ever four endings like it's four endings in new vegas you know one or one or two or three endings in uh fallout three there's probably only two endings in uh uh fallout four i'd never beat that no i haven't beat it's, it either funny enough it's not about I the lack of endings it's about i'm right at the end it's about how it ends it's right yeah out of nowhere it's anticlimactic and it's unsatisfying in just about every way it makes you feel like you've wasted your entire time. Are we talking about Fallout 4 or are we talking about Outer Worlds? Isn't that something? Well, <laughs> that is, so, so that's that's the last thing I wanted to bring up. Um, and this is the, the last point I have on this game because I feel like we did a pretty good job of covering everything else. Yeah. I kind of like the deep dive into the whole backstory of this um, mm-hmm. early on. That, that I think was really good. Games um, always have good backstories yeah. about being made. Most yeah, good games, do. especially this. And I think that's the thing too. like Obsidian being, I think, a very deserving and capable studio. I'm glad to see them kind of coming back to the forefront. So, I mean, it's kind of difficult, um, you know, not having beaten the game myself yet. I kind of was under the impression, at least from what I've played so far, at least at 20 hours, that this was going to be like a triumphant point when I brought this up. But maybe not so much now, but I think that might make it a little bit more of a complex kind of talking point here. But the last point I wanted to bring up um, would really just be kind of on the state of RPGs in general in 2019. So I think the reason that Outer Worlds was so well received, even in light of some of its obvious shortcomings here um, or perceived shortcomings that we discussed, is that in a lot of ways it is this kind of return to form or this kind of true like example of an old school role playing game. Um, I feel like to me, if I follow like the trajectory of like a Bethesda over the last, you know, 10 years or even like a Bioware, you know, some of these big heavy hitters in the role playing game sphere, they've kind of fallen from grace. I mean, we've seen like Bethesda, you know, they, they did a lot of really solid games, classics by, you know, I mean, no, no stretch here. None of us would say that, you know, Morrowind and Oblivion and Skyrim and Fallout 3 weren't classics. I mean, they're classics. They're good games. They're, they're buggy. They're glitchy. They've got issues, but they're great games. And they really kind of paved the way going forward. Same with the Bioware games. I mean, they, Bioware had a string, at least where I came into Bioware, geez, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire, Mass Effect, you know, to an extent, Mass Effect 2. I mean, like, these are classic games that will go down in gaming history as, you know, really pushing role-playing games forward in one way, shape or form. But now it's a little different, you know, it's 2019 Bethesda put out fallout four, which we, in a lot of ways, this, you know, is almost kind of like a sister cast to the fallout four podcast. We did however many years ago that was now three or four years ago. Now Um, they put out fallout four 
everyone was a little underwhelmed by that, I, I feel like, <laughs> uh, to, to put it lightly. And then they put out Fallout 76, yeah, which has just, just been... that Ben was base-whelmed. <laughs> you can be base-whelmed, Ben was base-whelmed. I want Todd Howard to pay for his sins. Well... So that's the thing. Then you have Fallout 76, so their response to that was put out a game that's just, you know, monetized bullshit, for, pretty much from what I've heard. I've not played the game just based on the feedback that I've seen from the community and the shit that Bethesda's pulled since it's come out. There's a really excellent video uh, by the internet historian about the Fallout 76 snafu. So check that out, Jason, and also listeners. Yes. Um so there's that. And then now we look at like Bioware and obviously you look at their last few games. I mean, it, it's rough. You know, they had Anthem, which was a total shit show for all intents and purposes. You had uh, what was it? Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, which I think I know myself and Colin specifically. I think, Ben, you played that as well, didn't you? Yeah, I enjoyed it. OK, He's so to beat it. Yeah. Yeah. So I like I don't know. I just feel like it. If nothing else, it's kind of like a fallen from grace, almost like these developers kind of lost sight of what made their game special. And instead of trying to revolutionize what they did, they focused more on iteration and kind of hate to use the term, but dumbing down their systems in a lot of these games. Um, whereas to see like an Obsidian kind of come from behind, we, we know that they're capable of creating these really strong story driven, narrative driven, choice driven role playing games to see them kind of come up more or less unannounced and say, hey, we have this, even if they didn't stick the landing to see a game like this in the kind of mainstream sphere and see it be as critically and commercially successful as it has, I think that that bodes well for the future of these types of games. And if nothing else, it kind of calls out the Bethesdas and the Biowares of the world and says, hey, what are you guys doing? I know there's been a lot of criticism. There's been a lot of, you know, on YouTube channels, gaming YouTube channels, podcasts, other podcasts, you know, things that I've seen and kind of consumed since Outer Worlds came out. That's been the number one response has been this kind of out Bethesda what Bethesda used to do. And, you know, I, to me, at least the, the critical and, and like the fan response has been this is kind of the answer to what we wanted out of a fallout for or what we wanted out of, you know, a spiritual successor to new Vegas. We've got that now from obsidian. So it's almost like obsidian has kind of raised themselves to the ranks of like, dare I say it, like the CD project reds in 2019, you know, as far as really pushing the medium forward as opposed to just trying to dumb it down. Well, it seems like obsidian still has their soul. They're, they're making yeah. these games and they're making them better than Bethesda or Bioware simply by doing what they did when they made New Vegas. It's not about microtransactions. It's not about, you know, fucking creative club or whatever. They're making they're making a game and they're making they're making it a, a game for being a game's sake. They're not making a, you know, uh, a walking, you know, uh, game store. You know, you're, you know, you don't you don't have to go and buy the, you know, Spacer's Choice like plus select you know, gun pack in order to enjoy this game. You know, the, the most they ever did was DLC, which just added more content. You know, I mean, you could buy your gun runners arsenal and get access to some more weapons, but that's about it. There's no really any microtransactions to speak of. And I know that's not exactly what you're talking about, but that's part of, that's part of where these other developers are losing their soul and losing their ability to properly make a video game, actually be a video game instead of just a, a vending machine. I wonder if it's 
critique on uh big big corporate game companies it who, very well may be you know fuck around with uh it's like oh we we care about you know money more than our uh people and at know? the end of it obsidian chose the shill ending i you know i sound like i've been really hard on them but at the end of the day i would buy another game from obsidian because despite being disappointed with the latter third of this game they've still earned my trust it's still obsidian and it's literally the same company that made one of my favorite RPGs ever, which is New Vegas. I, I don't feel betrayed by them. I just feel a little disappointed. And they're, they're like, they're like my kid who, well, they drove drunk and I found out no one died, but you know what? I expected a little better of them. Tommy. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <clears throat> Yeah, so with that, I think this is a good time to go around the table and actually see good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. From what we can tell so far, um, I would say a good two, three-fifths of us have not finished this game. <laughs> so uh, I think we can get a good grasp on good sci-fi or bad sci-fi, though. So we'll start with Ben. It's okay, sci-fi. I mean, you know, we talk about the issues of the game has, but the we didn't talk a lot about the sci-fi concepts because, like I said, it's it, it's summed up to corporate corporation bad people good with cool sci-fi elements. And while that's interesting to talk about, they didn't really bring anything new to the conversation. And it was very. I I, I expect everything they did say. Cyberpunk will say much better in April. So. I am excited for what's next, whether I get to play it or not due to Microsoft, and I will try again, but I'm leaving it at OK Sci-Fi. OK. All right. Jason? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I would say OK Sci-Fi. Reason being, from what I've played so far, the focus is not on being, you know, a real hard sci-fi examination of topics. Like Ben said, I, I think he said it really well. It's you know, you can boil it down to very simplistic terms. Uh, you know, there's that bludgeoning over the head kind of corporatist versus, you know, kind of humanist perspective. There's a lot of the gallows humor, like Bill said, which I appreciate. And I think the story is, is really clever. And I think it uh, it plays to those strengths. But ultimately, it's less, you know, that kind of deep dive examination and more just kind of the pulpy like dime store you know, ray gun, pew, pew sort of game, you know, that, that's almost the, the aesthetic that I get from it. So I think it uses a lot of kind of well-worn like tropes and concepts and aesthetics and, and the, just the look at nails. But so far, I would say I appreciate the narrative, the story that the game is telling. I appreciate the choices, but I don't think it's like a real deep, thorough examination of a lot of these kind of topics that we discuss. So you know solid sci-fi okay sci-fi so far thank you all right um i would say sci-fi is always best served when it is a commentary on our current society um the way that we are currently living and i think this does a, a decent job of that uh without getting in, into too much depth i think we are going into another large discussion on more of the labor versus corporate uh, battle that this game kind of highlights. Um, 
I will say you pointed out a good thing that uh, Boyarski actually is more of the morbid side of this game. And I think he was part of Fallout, the original Fallout game. He was the morbid side. And Kane, Tim Kane, is actually more of the gallows humor. He he brings that to it. And from what I've read early on, that was the dynamic that they were trying to bring to the table. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But mm, it's okay sci-fi overall. Bill? Uh, I think it's... Uh, I think it's... I think it's good sci-fi mostly because there is, I know you have a lot of you haven't gotten to some later points, but um, there are a lot of moral conundrums that happen. That's like, um, that's like the survival of all over the well-being of all kind of thing idea, which is there. It's there. Well, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'll take back that opinion. It is incorrect, according to Ben. Um, I'm trying to tell you, just go on. Forget okay. me. We'll All talk right. about it after. I will forget you. Um, so, uh, so I'd say that there's a moral conundrum there, and then it's also, you know, everyone's been pretty much generalizing the game into corporatist, but I also think that it's the the whims of the very few over the good of almost. 99.999% of people, you know, so that's basically at the very end, I won't give up too much, but, you know, basically the entire colonial system is for the benefit of basically one person. Um, and so, you know, that fact kind of, um, kind of brings up a lot of conundrums in my mind and makes me question a couple of things about my current situation in the world and my position in the world, according to you know, my position around other people. So I feel like it was good sci-fi in that, in the social commentary aspect of it, but it wasn't really existential at all. So it was, it was a very big kind of RPG kind of fantasy kind of thing. Like you do with, um, like with an elder scrolls game where you're just kind of exploring a world rather than questioning everything about your reality, like a sci-fi. So that's my opinion. I say good. And Andrew Miller. Well, um, I regret to inform everybody that I have chosen the shill ending and here to present the uh, first ever uh, truly good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. It's uh, it's it's uh, truly Beverage Corporation CFO Stop! John Truly. This is your minute. <laughs> it's good sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm critiquing it based solely on the science fiction, you know, not no social commentary withstanding. Uh, it's good sci-fi so far. I like it. I'm going to continue playing it. Uh, and um, yeah, there we go. I mean, it's a fun fucking game. It's a good game. I, think, I don't think anyone here is going to dispute that. It's a fun game. It's fun in the beginning. It's fun to shoot things. It's fun to get guns and shoot things and to see aliens and to talk to uh, uh, Pav uh, Pavarotti. Everything, everything we like. <laughs> Paparazzi. And, and, and problem solving as well. That's everything a big we love about Mass Effect is in this game. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. We've covered Outer Worlds now. I think we've covered more about the video game industry than Outer Worlds, but I kind of saw that going into this. So, anyways, thanks for listening, folks. If you haven't already, please give us a like on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We need it to grow. 
five stars. He wasn't. Stars. He, he didn't sound desperate enough. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we, I didn't sound desperate enough. We oh. need your reviews. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts right now and you have not reviewed us, then go do that. And if we find out you haven't reviewed us, we're going to come to your home and we're going to sell your family to a corporation. All right. Can I can I do my uh can I can I just have like a little clip of me begging? Um so I'm coming to you hat in hand asking you to please give us a five-star review if you have enjoyed our content. We would like to make our passion a part of our life, a part of our profession, and we would like to do what we love. And uh, if you leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us, if you truly enjoy your conversations, please do all of that. And, uh, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. I think people respond more to being fe- afraid of being sold. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, if you don't, if you don't give us a five-star review, then fuck you. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> actually, I have your data, and if you do not, if you do not give us a five-star review, I will sell your data. I will sell your data <laughs> to the dark net. To Amazon. To Amazon. To Amazon. Jeff, Amazon already has it. We have it. Jeff waiting on the line. <laughs> Jeff, come on. Jeff, come on out here, Jeff. Oh, and he's Jeff, got, why do you have the oh, gun? Shit. Put oh. the gun down, Jeff. Oh, my God. William McKinley, stop him. <laughs> are you French kissing Bill Gates? <laughs> Fucking A. They're in bed together. They are so. <laughs> why do you have a bed down here in the basement? They're Everyone, thank you for listening. Until next time. Uh, if you haven't already, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. MySpace. Like us on Instagram. And Imager. Anyway. Uh, uh, follow my <laughs> no. follow my live journal at uh <laughs> Yeah, my Zanga is uh doing really well. Stop if you hand. go to angelfire.billjarvis.com. <laughs> I'm gonna back it up. I'm gonna back it up. <laughs>